Hey, Ruth. Hey, Rachel. We're in Korea. Also, maybe Lovecraft Country? What did you think about this episode? It was intense in ways I hadn't quite anticipated. I felt like they did a really interesting thing where they combined her being a Kuhimo with the Lovecraftian tentacle monster. Yes. It's not just tales. At first I thought, they made her a tentacle monster, and then the explanation, I thought, oh, okay. So they've taken the this concept and adapted it, mm-hmm. and I thought it was interesting and sad, and I felt like her her trajectory paralleled ticks more than I than I would have expected. What about you? I loved this episode. I loved like everything about it. I loved the story and the questions that it raised are, are some of the most fundamental questions and things that draw me into sci-fi stories and all of the horror aspects were it didn't really seem to me like there were that many honestly. Mhm. Maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons why I liked it was it's maybe the least horror-y horror story, although there are certainly bad things that happen. Yeah, under normal circumstances, she might just eat a man's heart or liver or something like that and not explode him. Um, That was a lot, but... I mean, these are all kind of representing... I guess I don't know what tentacle monsters do in Lovecraft. Do they just uh, kill people? (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Though absorbing consciousness or absorbing life force or memory, that that's totally in line with it. Yeah, so there's this kind of soul-devourer aspect, mm-hmm. which is a little in line with the kind of traditional kumiho. The kumiho has a little bit of a soul-devourerness to it, but not like a full-on. But I love the idea of a soul-devourer, because a soul-devourer feeds on future energy yeah yes so when she devours these men and that's another kind of devourer that is amazing which is like one who the misandrist devourer yes a a whole genre of like and then i eat you (laughs) ha ha she does not only know their whole life story but she knows what they would have done in the future yeah. That's amazing. Okay, so one, I do want to mention that that you might be familiar with a nine-tailed fox um as an adorable Pokemon. Oh, you know, I hadn't thought about that because I didn't really Pokemon much, but you have uh, an image yeah. in your head right now, don't you? It's adorable. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I had to um count all of the human orifices to make sure that they got it right. But they oh, did. same. <laughs> Same. I I absolutely was in the shower afterward counting my orifices. <laughs> Wait. Oh, was, oh, two nostrils. Okay, we're all good. So we learn that Jia is not a normal girl. Yeah, and even if she had been a normal girl, she would have had a very rough life before that. Right. So um, to avenge her daughter's suffering. Her mother summons 
through a shaman, this fox spirit, which takes the guise of her daughter. So it's a little bit of a changeling thing, too. I wondered if she took over the daughter's body or if she substituted somehow for the daughter. Yeah, um, it's unclear. Uh, to kill evil men. Or as Jia tells in the story in the episode, to help women who are wronged by men. Which was happening a lot in um, really most of Korean history by imperial forces that happened to be trying to take over Korea. Yeah, it seemed to me like it was a theme that fit in some ways with Ruby from the previous episode, although strangely, even though she exploded these guys and ended their lives and stole their futures, I did not feel as negatively toward that but I wonder if that's partly because they died and partly because she is a monster. And I, I accepted her as, oh, she's a monster. Right. Okay. What am I going to do with this? I don't know, but she's a monster. And so I can, I can take that as a given and move forward. But yeah, I saw that as a, as a parallel. And another kind of parallel that's super interesting to me, and you see a lot of this in Asian stories, which is that once in the human realm, the monster, spirit, demon is enticed by it. Like, I'm pretending to be a human, and I really like it, and I want to be a human. This is super nice. I want friends. I want a boyfriend. I want to watch movies and sing songs and be like Judy Garland. Would she have to give up Judy Garland? And if she would, it doesn't seem fair of her to steal Jia's future, which is sort of what she's doing, but right, she's also a self, and she's maybe a meld. I did wonder, you know, if she were to take the hundredth soul, would she forget nursing? Like, what is that relationship like? <laughs> These are some questions. Yeah, like, you send Akumiho to college, um, to <laughs> nursing school. <laughs> What does that mean? So one of the things that I was thinking about is that if if Akumio is interested in staying in the human realm, I would have employed a better strategy from earlier on about which souls that I was stealing so that I would have more and better knowledge. Mm. So it seems like a plan doesn't really kind of fall into place until the war is there. She is, you know, she's a dutiful daughter. Mm-hmm. Well, she wants to be a good daughter because she wants to be, she wants to be Jia. Yeah, she wants to be a good daughter. Tick wants to be something, you know. I think both of them have complicated relationships with their parents, things that they're resisting against and kind of running away from. Both of them have complicated relationships with their countries, really. Mm, we'll get into that. So... You have the Kumiho, the soul devourer, killed 99 men. And then you have Tick, who uh, obeyed orders and shot innocent people, framing the question that comes back again, who is a monster? Yeah, I think looking at the hashtag too, some people were very surprised that they gave Tick that plot line. But I think maybe it's just my being a pacifist that I'm sort of cynical about. No, this is actually what war is. It's not polite. And it's incredibly harmful to civilians and that is why i oppose it i think people have an idea that the korean war was like a 
less worry war from the American perspective, just, you know, it's the forgotten war. We don't hear about these kind of mm-hmm. conflicts between the Second World War and Vietnam. Right. And we didn't have the same footage that we had for Vietnam. Right. But but what is happening in Korea after the Second World War is a, just a, a huge amount of upheaval because Korea has been under intense and heavy-handed Japanese occupation for nearly 50 years and more than that, and is now at the dissolution of the Japanese empire. I, I guess in Europe is kind of analogous to, to Poland, the kind of history mm. of, of Korea, where it's just constantly being invaded and fought over, but has its own history. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like always in the middle of, of a conflict between Russia and Japan and Russia and China and China and Japan. So as with Germany, Korea is divided into protectorates. So the Soviets get part of it and the allies get part of it. Mm -hmm. And each kind of sets up its own strongman. And you have a number of Korean people, too, who've been living in China Mm -hmm. because they've been refugees during this period of occupation. And so they come back and... They may have different ideas about what a Korean state should look like. My grandmother's from Morocco, and this is very similar to this kind of post-World War II end of French protectorate kind of upheaval in like, who is in charge of the future of our country? And there's a lot of ideas happening and just a lot of freedom happens and there's strong men and there's just conflict. And then what you have is another superpower coming in and saying, Well, we want to make sure this goes our way. Right. So that it ends up with a solution that's favorable to us. Yeah, I felt that they did that well with the guys throwing out the things from the tanks and such. Like, don't worry, we're here. Right. So (laughs) that was super over the top. And it was really summed up nicely by the second guy in the speed dating. Oh, yeah. Who was like, I can't believe that you like these American movies that's propaganda they're just as bad you know we're finally have a chance to be free why would you be you know into america (laughs) they're they're not gonna do us any better than japan did us yeah and i mean korea has strong history and culture and you know despite occupations and invasions I'm thinking like about written language and things like that Um, yeah yeah just an uh, an amazing a long history. I, I was a student of Korean martial arts in a very, in a very old school way that, you know, an old Korean guy taught my master Korean martial arts. And we had to learn like ancient Korean history in order to become advanced ranks and understand, you know, this like the three kingdoms and the Hrengdo, the flower of youth of the ancient aristocrats and their poetry and learn all of this and and we were we were literally taught and then the japanese came and suppressed all of this culture and we had to you know continue our ways privately because they made us do the japanese way and then we could be free to do things again after we were free from japanese rule anyway america is bad this war is bad it's 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 foreign powers propping up dictators or strongmen, not necessarily dictators, propping up strongmen to fight a proxy war that's also an internal war. There's not 
a lot of clarity about what the battle is. So it, it's it's a nasty war that's more like the Vietnam War than it is the Second World War. And you can tell Tick has realized that war is not great and also that he is in a very messy situation. He cannot leave without at best getting imprisoned and at worst getting shot. And so he draws that parallel. He had to go off to war to learn what his father was trying to teach him, which I couldn't tell if that was obey orders or else, or if that was America is actually imperialist and extremely bad. And maybe it was both. And maybe it was also a little bit of what Tick has said before, that he found the echo of his father in that kind of anger and violence when Mm. he was at war. So maybe he was trying not to learn to be the kind of man his father was, but he did when he was at war. Yeah. And that's to Tick, the monster that he is, that he's trying to walk the line to not become. So... When we think about Tick, we're like, he's a human guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's got his humanity, you know? Yeah. But when we look at Jia, is the um, summoned fox spirit, can they be human too? I know she's a person. I guess I would say that much. So there's this whole thing of, what is your nature? I would say too, it's her nature to love deeply you know for everything else she has going on with her friend being murdered like that in front of her when she sees tick she's ready and willing to sacrifice her entire future and to turn it over if she can just avenge her friend Mm -hmm. to me that speaks of extremely deep love Right, so and sometimes this is a spirit that is summoned to assist somebody with something that needs to be done, i.e. killing some men. So so she she's like, I want to kill the bad man. Mm-hmm. The sad price is that then you know everything the bad man knows. Gah. Yeah. Ugh. I think for all that I mentioned last week, you know, that we, we can't not sometimes have power fantasies about what we do to people who hurt us, but... I don't think I'd want the price of knowing everything they know or have done. Oh my god. Yeah. That's such a high price. It is. Incidentally, do you think that she saw the Conte de Monte Cristo or do you think that she ate a guy who saw it? <laughs> I was thinking at first I was like, oh, she ate a guy who read it. Right. But then she didn't get the ending right because he ends up with Aide, not with Mercedes, so... I have no recollection of The Count of Monte Cristo. I know I've read it in the past, but I don't have any recollection of it. (laughs) I have intensively watched the six to nine hour French film with Gérard Depardieu, which has that ending with Mercedes as well. But uh, I looked up the ending because I was like, this seems off. This doesn't feel right at all. So I looked up the ending. Watching it like... Hmm, I wonder if there's something I'm missing by not knowing a single thing about this book. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it is a book about... Yeah, well, what's the plot summary? Oh, God, the plot summary. Well, the plot summary is that the audiobook is 52 hours long. And I actually checked it out, so we'll see what happens. It's a pandemic. But 
The plot summary is that a young man is greatly wronged by three men that he thought were, if not his friends, then at least not harmful toward him. He's imprisoned, he escapes, and then he comes back to ruin their lives. But there's a question when you are on a lifelong vengeance quest. What do you actually want to do to people? Do you want to destroy them in the way that will utterly destroy them? Or what do you do when they have children who are kind, good, and maybe even in love with each other? So it's a it's a messy it's a messy story. It's like he can get some really, really good vengeance and also revenge is messy. And it challenges you and it makes you ask if you really want to do the thing. And I think that that sort of, that that's in line with her story. I don't know if Tick did quite enough to, you know, merit the quick change around to falling in love, except that he said, look, you need to know this. You need to know that I am not just a straightforward good guy, that I have done bad things and I need you to know that and I think just even that aspect or element of him was enough to make her not want to kill him and of course that is a self-preservation instinct on her part so we were missing something they didn't just like pick randomly this is Montrose's favorite book they chose Mm -hmm. it on purpose to mirror certain aspects of the story the Haftorah reading of the episode and Tick says that maybe Montrose liked it so much because it was a story of a man getting revenge on the people who'd taken everything away from him, and that was something that Montrose felt deeply. And because it's by right. Dumas, who is French, but black, or African French. In fact, mm-hmm. I, I learned that when I learned when I was 16 that um, Pushkin, the Russian poet, mm-hmm. was also part African, and I think it really doesn't represent the kind of world that Americans get taught often for our worldview oh yeah yeah it's completely whitewashed it's uh africans all over the place this week i'd like to recommend two books which take on the same thing in vastly different ways the first is N.K. Jemisin's The City We Became. It fully falls into the category of weird fiction while being so much more. The second, Alyssa Cole's When No One Is Watching, is a gentrification thriller set in Brooklyn. Its reality was so close to our own that I felt an urge to check the news. Both tell stories of communities forming or drawing on deep roots to help them create something bigger than themselves as they go up against sinister adversaries. I try not to get involved in series before they're finished, but I am itching to order the next book in Jemison's Great Cities series. You can probably get them through your local library, and I'll link in the show notes to a Black-owned bookstore where you can buy a copy as well. Please remember that when ordering from small bookstores, it will take you longer to get the book than it does with Amazon. And that's okay. Back to this question about what is nature and if you can fight your nature or be something else or have choice. 
if you are a fox spirit whose purpose in the world is to assist humans with killing men that need to be killed, two things, which is one, that's your singular purpose. That's what you're for. And if you stay in the human world as a human for too long or not doing your purpose, you're you're violating a, a boundary between the, the human and the spirit worlds where you're upsetting a balance. Look, sometimes you just have to watch Judy Garland's whole oeuvre. <laughs> but when they go back to the, the shaman, they have this moment where, like, she sees the fox. Mm-hmm. And then, then they go to the shaman, and the shaman is like, because you have done a thing that you are not supposed to do, and you are not doing the thing that you were supposed to do, that is the reason why you will see even more horror than you counted on. Yeah. So, like, she could leave at any moment. She's still there. This is, like, months later, year, year month, sometime mm-hmm. later. She could, you know at any moment, take another soul and go back to the spirit world. But she's still here in in Korea Mm -hmm. doing who knows what. I wonder if she's being a nurse or taking care of her mother. Yeah, that relationship with her mom was, it was rough. Oh, that's so much like you made me. That's such a great question. You know, her mother is like, I'm not your mother. And she is like, you summoned me into this world, which is the same as birthing me. You created me. And this is who I am with the memories of your husband who you summoned me to kill. That's where I start is with him. That's the beginning of me. I like your point about her mother being her mother. They they have a relationship that's caught up together. Mm-hmm. No matter what the state is. And I think that's maybe why she feels she owes her mother. It's true. And and like you were mentioning, we don't know how long that she's been the Kumiho, right? So who is Jia when you get her back? Like, I think there's a lot of assumption happening, right? I will get my daughter back and she will be, you know, well, you've been living with a demon for like, you know, several years. <laughs> like, do you- right. Was she like 12? I mean, she could have been fairly young when it was summoned, especially if she couldn't start taking souls really until later. A hundred is a lot. Here in this Wikipedia entry, some tales say that if a kumiho abstains from killing and eating humans for a thousand days, it can become human. Oh, well, maybe she's on a quest. I was thinking when I saw the tales the first time it reminded me of all things of in um in Yashu, how the horde of demons comes and it's very much like amorphous mass of like mm. little serpenty dudes yeah i actually thought a little bit of like they made me think a little bit of spirited away and i know that there is a certain japanese horror influence on some tentacle horror type things mm which would be kind of a disservice to a Korean episode. But because it's combined with the Lovecraftian stuff. I was going to say the extent to which Japanese occupation was heavy handed is that um, in 1905, Japan like forcibly annexed Korea and said, it's Japan now, which Mm -hmm. is just a level of 
amazing bullshitness that we really see by countries like France, who said Algeria is now France. Man, fuck France. <laughs> and the Algerians were like, excuse me? And they were like, in French, please. <laughs> the U.S. did that too, you know? that's It's very much a U.S. thing as well. And I think seeing the U.S.'s role in this war, I feel like, you know, the purpose of this show isn't to directly confront the U.S. I was going to say invasion of Korea, but it's more complicated than that. Right. But at the same time, I think it complicates that in ways that most U.S. media does not choose to complicate. Like, we are very good at taking Vietnam as a messy, messy war. We don't hardly with Korea. With the same outcome, honestly, right? Which is mm -hmm. like, we just like, we're like, all right, it's all good, bye. It was... And and this is exactly what the I mean, and it's the same timeline from like bullshit in nineteen or eighteen ninety to nineteen ten happening. The same timeline in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. England does some bullshit <laughs> around the turn of the century, and then it just kind of compounds during the colonial era. And then in the fifties, the partition of India in. Mm -hmm in the Middle East with the Shah and like all kinds of stuff happening in the Israeli War of Independence and, and the Suez Crisis in North Africa, everywhere in all, in all of Southeast Asia, not to mention Africa. So it's the same timeline where instead of having a kind of independence come from itself, you have like just increased messing with you some more. Yeah. So you end up with this partition of Korea which would not have happened without outside influence. And one of the, the things that doesn't get talked about as much is that there are Koreans talking about what reunification might look like someday. You know, what it would be like to have that again. And, I mean, maybe North Korea wouldn't have ended up like North Korea if this hadn't happened. We did that. We made Cuba. We did that. Like, we did these things. They are our fault. All of the problems are the fault of Western Empire trying to control the whole world and to fight wars like the world is a goddamn chessboard and it's not people that live in places with their own histories and their own cultures and their own lives. Can I tell you a quick story? Yeah. I went to a Hapkido seminar in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. It was fantastic, and I get to do some hapkido, which was really great. There's lots of throwing and falling, and it was a great time. So Master Kim, who was running the seminar, you know, we're just like in the middle of like these sessions and like learning all this hapkido stuff, and he, he gathers us all around. There's like 150 people, and he sits us down, and he says, now listen, as a student of Korean martial arts, it is your duty to work for the reunification of Korea. If I'm saying this is something that I'm bought into and something I want to learn, and I think this is a lesson that applies to like yoga and all kinds of stuff that we Americans like to do. If I like doing Taekwondo, I should know about Korean history. I should know mm -hmm. about Korean politics and I should be invested not just in what I want to be invested in, but in the entire culture that I'm adopting at least this part of. You should invest in it. 
I've never had so much of a damn, you're right <laughs> moment in my life when I was like, oh, I should be shit. You're right. You know? Yeah, I think that we are very rarely challenged in that way, particularly as white European descended people in some ways, um, as white Americans. I mean, I know that your background is slightly different. But overall, American culture is very good at saying, I shall now take this and not like learning from each other and doing cultural exchange in a way that puts people in the role of students, not consumers, of people who learn, of people who just approach things differently. It's also about like, let me understand where these stories are coming from. Like, who is that character based on? What is like the mythology? Let's get deeper into it. And I love the kind of story that we get out of that, which is this story, which is a question of similarities between folklores across cultures, right? Because there mm -hmm. are. And it's interesting to say like these things are the same and these things are slightly different. It's very fascinating. And I felt like, you know, this wasn't meant to be a specifically oh and now we have switched to a Korean perspective as much as we have switched to doing something syncretistic right and that's what happens when people come together one hopes it's under better circumstances than being brought together in the different ways that Jia and Tik were brought together but sometimes you aren't and sometimes you still get the syncretism where you have a story where, okay, it's a story that's very much based in Korean folklore, but it's not also strictly that. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that aspect of this episode. I also loved the inclusion of the character Sung, the other GI, the Korean-American GI. Mm, yeah, I don't normally think about Korean-Americans fighting in the Korean War. Right, so you're talking about, you know... Most likely, he's second or third generation. He's very mm -hmm. American, but he's probably conscripted because he speaks Korean to be a translator. So they have the story of, you know, I can't really be an American and I can't be a Korean either. That's the kind of position that I'm in now. And so it's it, it sets up the complexity of American race to add that other layer. So I was re really glad to see that and not just kind of focusing on just the white black race stories. It was about people who don't entirely fit into their worlds, and yet who are full worlds unto themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, showing the, the persecution of uh, North Korean communist sympathizers. Mm -hmm. You know, just kind of cleansing and the, the lynching as a, God, the, kind of a parallel story of people cheering and just snuffing out a man's life without a second thought. Yeah. He's a communist, you know, he has no value. When really, maybe he did. Yeah. And maybe the communists have a point. I mean, I'm not going to defend North Korea. Well, so to wrap things up, I'd like to start by naming some of the parallels that we brought out in this, because I think it ended up being even more than we might have thought coming in. So you have the parallel of revenge um, and revenge against harmful men although also against men who aren't necessarily doing anything right that guy she picks up at the bar nothing necessarily wrong with him he was gonna climb a mountain yeah <laughs> he was gonna climb a mountain you have the parallels of 
a man's relationship with his father and a woman's relationship with her mother, you have the parallels of how each of these three characters are in relationship with their world, their country, because even though she is on the outside, a Korean woman in Korea, although her friend is not welcome, her friend, so maybe four people. So you have her friend who is executed and the parallel with the man who is hung or lynched. You have her being actually a monster, but a monster who is capable of great love. You have these two Americans who are constantly being told that they're not Americans. I think having Sung's or having Sung explain that he's not any more welcome at home in the US than he is here. And is the world turning them all into monsters or are they just really complex? I'm sure that Sung has also been involved in some of these atrocities and yet he and yeah. Tick are both humans and have feelings and regrets and she has killed 99 men. Yeah, and an agency about things are in motion and you're you're suddenly in the middle of things and and what kind of agency do you have to determine your own life and what you do and can you escape what was set out for you? When were you the most creeped out? When the tails came out of her eyeballs. Yeah, I would have to go with the same. That, <laughs> when the first thing came out, I was like, oh God, she's a monster. I don't know what's going on here. Mm -hmm. uh, when they came out of her eyes, I was really not okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. <laughs> at, at, at any moment, you're like, oh, there's more tentacles. Oh, there's more tentacles. But I, I was not expecting the eyeballs. Was there a moment in the episode where you were really frightened scared scared i got a real pit of dread in my stomach when they had the nurses down on their knees and i realized oh, that tick God. was there i know that that wasn't the moment of his losing some innocence because i think i think it was lost long before that you see it in the flashback later but yeah i was like oh god he's not going to be able to undo this mm -hmm. so when did you yell at the screen Maybe when the first tale came out for me. Yeah. Yeah, I did vocalize during that whole first scene. And also, I feel like they could have made them cuter. They made them creepy. Yes. I mean, I think that's that's where it gets the Lovecraftian twist, right? They're not cute tales. They're creepy tales. No, creepy, creepy tales. Um, go back to the forest and, you know, red panda yourself back into beauty. <laughs> Oh, you know what was funny? <laughs> is when her mom is so happy when they're cleaning up the room. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> so delighted. Oh, so only two more. <laughs> like, just scrubbing blood off the floor. It's splattered on the walls. Oh, I was um, talking about that she devours w with sex, right? And then she's like, her mother says... You'll hurt him eventually because that's your nature. And in the scene where she does almost kill him is after that they have had sex. But she says she can control her tails, but um, she can't. Not all the time because that's the nature of sex, right? I mean, that's also the nature of maybe being a monster or. Right. But she definitely doesn't mean to know about no. them. And they are both shook. 
and she doesn't have time to explain to him. And now she's choosing to not explain to him. So she's also like him in that way. Yeah. Yep. That's another thing he gets from Montrose. Maybe they are for each other. I mean, we love Letty, obviously. I think that it might be a setup to a question like that, where Jia is a character who is aware of what's up with the world and willing to try to use whatever power you have to control what's happening, mm. whereas Letty is repeatedly a little bit more on the Matro side. Mm. Yeah, this is bad, and we should try to not engage with it. So, do you think Tick's gonna die? Yeah. Is a vision of the future the future? Speaking of visions of the future, what do you think about next week's episode and all those possible lives that Hippolyta sees? Oh, can't wait. I'm excited and nervous. I think that we're only seeing a part of the story, just a very, very small part of the story. All of the doorways that she gets a peek through. I don't know that we'll see like significantly more of warrior, leader, burlesque dancer, anything. <laughs> any of the, those might be all that we see of it. And the rest is a different kind of story. But it seems like it's going to be an episode that's similar to this one. And I've missed her, so I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait to see what superpower she's got. Everybody's got something going on. So far, which superpower would you take? I feel like Letty probably has the most power, but she's a little bit afraid to use it. <laughs> Part of me is like, let me be George. I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> Your superpower is being dead. <laughs> Atlanta of Korea. <laughs> it's in that no, spot. Atlanta is is Busan, the cultural capital where all the cool <laughs> stuff happens. All right, but I meant like geographically. Oh, okay, geographically, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>